If you have your Bibles with you, let's open them up to Matthew chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 36. Many trials and storms that come to our life uh, are, if we're honest, the result of our own doing. I don't know about you, but I've, I've had certain mistakes that I've made, decisions that I've made over the years, sinful things that have happened, and it oftentimes brings a certain consequence, a certain trial or trouble into my life. But even in those trials, I I find the grace of God as our hearts turn back to the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive us. And even, even the difficulty that sometimes mistakes bring, even those things God can use in our life to bring about change and, and instruction and, and blessing. And that's, that's often just kind of a fitting kind of work in our life. We, we, we kind of sense that, well, Lord, I need to learn this lesson. You know, I made this mistake, it was a bad decision, and now, Lord, I, I just have to trust you to kind of bring me through the storm that, that is following. And, and God is gracious, and so many times he's rescued me, and so many times he's brought me through in ways that, that only his grace could have. But there are also times in my life when I find myself in the midst of a storm or a trial seemingly as the result of my effort to obey the Lord. And those are the harder trials. Those are the more difficult storms to weather. When in our efforts to obey God, our sincere effort to to follow the Lord, we find ourselves in the midst of a difficult circumstance. We imagine that, you know, as we serve the Lord, there's going to be something of his blessing that's going to help and equip and enable us. And, and there is, but also there are times of resistance, even in our effort to obey the Lord. And that's the kind of uh, text we find here this morning in Matthew chapter 14. I've entitled today's message, When Jesus Sends You Into the Storm. When Jesus Sends You Into the Storm. Now, the disciples, if you remember last time when we looked at this chapter, the disciples have just experienced a wonderful miracle with Jesus. He has just fed the multitudes. Remember, he he wanted to feed this great crowd that was gathered there, 5,000 men then, plus women and children, and and just a, a, a young boy's lunch, Jesus multiplied these fish and loaves, and they fed thousands with baskets left over. I mean, this is a great moment in the ministry of Jesus. The disciples are excited to see what the Lord has done. This is a great season of ministry for them. And really something of an opportunity, an opportunity for the Lord to really further his ministry into the heart of the people and of the nation. In fact, in John, you don't need to turn, but John chapter six tells us after this multitude being fed, in verse 14, it says those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Here is this wonderful moment in ministry and the multitudes are ready to enthrone him, to raise him up, to give him this place in their nation. And instead of leveraging that moment, Jesus actually retreats alone and then sends his disciples out to sea. 
Take a look with me now in chapter 14. Pick it up with me in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. So this classic passage of Jesus walking upon the water, and we kind of see kind of just finishing up the chapter, two sections, the storm where Jesus walks on the water, and then, of course, the ministry on the other side once Jesus arrives and brings his disciples across. And so let's take a look at this storm and how Jesus ministers to his disciples. Six things that I, I'd like you to look at with me, things that we can see together, and I believe they have some good application into our own lives. The first thing we notice here in verses 22 and 23 is Jesus's leadership. We see Jesus really leading his disciples. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening had come, he was alone there. Jesus gives this instruction to the disciples. Now again, can, remember the, the, the atmosphere. This is a, a, a high moment of ministry. And, and it says Jesus made them get into the boat to go to the other side. You almost get this idea like the disciples, like Jesus, this is, this is not the time to leave. This is the time to really embrace the people. The people want you. The people are ready to raise you up as king. This is our moment in ministry. We're going to become something here in the nation. And Jesus said, get into the boat. You know, but Jesus, Jesus, look at the people. Get into the boat. You get this idea. Jesus made them get into the boat. And he then sent the crowd away. And it just impressed me here. Jesus' command of the situation, his leadership, and his clear instruction. You know, we think of Jesus, and rightfully so, as a very humble and compassionate Savior. 
We see Jesus welcoming even the, the little children that would come to him. He describes himself as that good shepherd. He describes himself as the one who can help those that are weary. We see such an invitation from Christ, this tender-hearted, compassionate Savior. But we also see a leader. We also see a Savior who is both King and Lord. And in this moment of ministry, he's not taking suggestions from the disciples. The people are not taking over the ministry. He's not giving place to the crowd. He himself directs this situation and his command of it is impressive. He's not moved by the crowds or the opportunity of a popular moment. He's not allowing his disciples to get caught up in the moment. He makes them get into the boat. And in, his, in this way, I believe Jesus continues to offer leadership into the church, which he is the head of. And I think it's important that pastors and spiritual leaders remember that as wonderful and as gracious as Christ is, he is also King and Lord. He is in charge of the church. When Jesus is leading his church, his leaders are not making the decisions based on popular opinion or the will of the culture or even the congregation. No, Jesus is calling the shots. And there's a danger there's a danger for pastors, spiritual leaders to look to men, to, to kind of get caught up in trying to appease and approve men and to be seen by men rather than listening to the voice of Christ and obeying the Lord. And it, it happens even amongst the people we see here. The people wanted to just by force direct Jesus to become king. They would like to direct the ministry of Jesus too. And we see that in the church today. Oftentimes people and spiritual leaders, they, or spirit, uh, people look to steer and influence pastors and spiritual leaders rather than allowing Christ to lead the church. Instead of submitting to spiritual leadership, they look to steer and guide. And so we see here Jesus giving clear instruction, but also in his leadership we see a beautiful example. We see him retreating away to pray. We see a devotional life in Christ. This is not the first time or the last that we see Jesus retreating away from the crowds, from the ministry, from the moments, and getting alone with his heavenly Father. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray, it says in verse 23. And he's there receiving strength and direction, being refreshed in the Holy Spirit, keeping his eyes on the focus of the will of his Father, not the will of the people. It reminds us of Moses. Moses would often go up to the mountain and receive from the Lord to, to instruct the people. Later, he would then meet with the Lord in the tabernacle of meeting, the tent where God would meet with Moses. Moses would then come and minister God's instructions to the people. And so Jesus, he's not, he's not being moved by the crowds, not even the will of his disciples. It's drawing away and hearing from the Lord and interceding for his disciples. And whether you are called to lead others in ministry or whether you are simply called to be led yourself by the Spirit in your own life, there needs to be that time when you go to your mountain, your secret place, your prayer closet, and hear from heaven. Spending time alone with God in prayer, in his word, reading your Bibles. 
It's good that we fellowship. It's good that we study together. But there also needs to be that personal devotional life, and we see it modeled here in Christ. And it's not to be done out of duty or out of some sense of obligation. It's to be done with the, with the recognition that he loves you. And he wants that fellowship with you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to have personal time with his children. Are you weary? Are you lonely? Are you confused? Are you overwhelmed? Are you busy? Do you have a sense of maybe being distracted? Or maybe you feel unworthy? All the things that would keep you away are the very things that should be drawing you near. Come unto me, Jesus would say. Come Come and fellowship with me as we see him with great example in his leadership, always spending time in his personal prayer and devotion life. The second thing that we notice in verse 24 of our text is that Jesus sends his disciples directly into a storm, directly out into the storm. Verse 24, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. I mean, he did this on purpose, it seems, doesn't it? Get into the boat, go to the other side, and immediately they come into this storm. The Sea of Galilee, uh, it's still known even today for these sudden strong winds. It's kind of uh, between a mountain range separated, you know, separating the Sea of Galilee with the coast and then Mount Hermon, a very tall mountain, and it just creates these winds that come down into this Galilee Valley and it whips up this, this Sea of Galilee. So no doubt this is what's happening. They started out, now these were seamen, these were fishermen, they knew the sea, but they got out into this ocean and this wind comes up. John, the Gospel of John tells us that they had rowed about three or four miles. So they're going against the wind, they can't sail, the wind is too, too uh, you know, contrary. So they're having to row and they're having to work their way across this sea to the place Jesus has sent them. And the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus, from his vantage point where he was praying up on the mountain, could actually see them straining against the wind. He could see them off in the distance. This three or four mile, he could actually see them fighting their way into the wind. And Matthew tells us that the wind actually took them out into the middle of the sea. They were clearly off course and they were out there all alone. Jesus is not in the boat now. There was a storm prior when Jesus was asleep down in the bottom of the boat that he, they were able at least to go wake Jesus up and he woke up and calmed the sea. But now they're out there by themselves. Jesus is not with them. And it's also the middle of the night, as we'll find out later. They, would, they were rowing for several hours all by themselves. And it's in this moment that they must have th thought to themselves, Jesus, why did you send us out here? You're safe back on the mountain praying. We're out here fighting for our lives in the midst of a storm. And yet God was with them, wasn't he? Jesus actually could see them visibly from where he was, but even, even still, Jesus was with him in the promises that he had already sown into their hearts letting them know that as you are out there in that storm, even though it's a storm I sent you into, you can have confidence that I'm going to be with you and I'm going to care for you. Jesus had taught them just a few chapters earlier. You remember in Matthew 10 and verse 29, he said this, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? 
and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus had already taught these disciples that God loves you. Your heavenly Father is watching over you. You do not need to be afraid. You not even in the midst of a storm, God, not, not one sparrow falls to the ground, not one hair of your head goes unnoticed. God is intimately involved in your life. And these are the times when the Lord, even when he sends you directly into the storm, he's trying to create and build a faith, a trust in the promises of God and the word of God. And how can these things be tested? How can these things be truly matured in our life except in time of storm? It's easy to believe God when, when the wind is at your back and you're sailing along. It's hard. It takes faith and maturity of spiritual life when the wind is contrary and you have to trust that God is with you. I always want the wind at my back. How about you? And I almost always expect it. You know, if I'm going to obey the Lord, if I'm going to step out in, in ministry or in some effort to serve the Lord, I just anticipate that his wind is, be, is, is at my back. And I'm surprised when I come sometimes into this contrary. And you know, we experience these, ta- these seasons in our own life. We're in a storm. We're in a storm that seems like God actually has ordained for us. We're actually trying to do what he's called us to do. And the winds are contrary. I can remember seasons in my life. I can remember raising teenagers. Wow, you talk about contrary winds. But hey, that's what God had called us to do. Tony and I, look, parent these teenagers. You got to love them. You got to, you got to, you know, Train them up in the ways of the Lord. And my goodness, I can remember rowing and feeling like I am going the wrong. We're, going, we're not making any progress here. Aren't you glad teenagers is just a season of life, right? Kids grow through it. And, and, and you know, you just have to keep rowing sometimes. You just have to keep going forward in the things that God has given to you. Ministry is that way. Ministry brings those seasons as well, serving the Lord. There are moments where God is just does incredible things and just like the feeding of the thousands that the disciples had just witnessed Jesus just kind of blowing their mind you know just opening up an incredible uh, ministry through and in their lives but now there's it's it's the same inst- the same Jesus that, that asked them to feed the multitude is the one who has now sent them out in this storm you know we've uh, this September will be uh, 10 years since we planted this work up in the Monrovia, Duarte, Arcadia community. And, you know, there have been seasons where I can tell you the wind was just at our back. You know, God just doing incredible things above and beyond anything that we could have ever asked or thought. But I, I will tell you, be honest, there's, there are seasons when the winds have been contrary. You know, we're meeting in this facility, and it's, it's a blessing there are challenges in meeting a rented facility. You, you witness some of them. Just getting a sound system set up and dialed in in a very hurried fashion is not always easy. And, and so in my own heart, of course, I'm just thinking, Lord, I, I thought by now, you know, you would actually have a home for this church, you know, but we're still kind of homeless and wandering about in this wilderness. Lord, you know, and, and it just seems 
Sometimes we thought we had a place and the winds were contrary. And I, I don't have answers for those seasons. All I know is we're just going to have to keep rowing. We're just going to have to keep obeying God to do what he's called us to do. And I'm not complaining because I see God working. Now listen, we may not have a building, but we have a lot of really good things in our midst, namely the Holy Spirit meeting with us and bringing our lives together in fellowship. Amen? Well, I'd, I'd rather have him with no building than the, than the best of buildings without him. That would be, that would be a disaster. So we trust the Lord. I'm just, I'm just simply saying, you know, there aren't always answers, so why are things so difficult? Why do things seem, what, what's, what to us seems so good for the Lord to do, and yet we're finding wind, winds that are contrary? Well, look at the third thing that I want you to identify with me. Verse 25, Jesus delays his help. Oh gosh, just now when the storm is getting bad, Jesus delays his help. Verse 25, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. He waits until the fourth watch of the night. Now, he's just finished feeding the multitude, and that was in the evening. That would have been sometime during the first watch of the night, between 6 and 9 p.m. And it says immediately he got his disciples off into the boat. So they must have left somewhere between 6 and 9 p.m. Now, that's the first watch. The second watch is 9 p.m. till midnight. They're rowing. The third watch is midnight till 3 in the morning. They're rowing. The fourth watch, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 in the morning, Jesus now comes to help. Why didn't he come in the first watch, the second watch, or at least the third watch? Jesus delays. What's he doing? Why is he letting them row and struggle and, and, and come to the end of themselves? It reminds us of when Jesus delayed at, at the request to come and heal Lazarus. Do you remember? Jesus had a friendship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother. Lazarus became ill, and they sent message to Jesus, come, Lazarus is ill. And instead of coming and healing Lazarus, Jesus delayed his coming. He stayed on a couple more days. And what happened? Lazarus passed away. And when he arrived, Mary and Martha were both, why didn't you come? If only you had come when we'd sent word, Lazarus would still be alive. And of course, Jesus delayed on purpose, didn't he? Because he wanted to demonstrate not a healing, but a resurrection. He wanted to be able to say, Lazarus, come forth. And with his grave clothes on, three days in the tomb, he came forth alive. God had something more glorious in mind than what they desired him to do for them. Even greater than the healing was this raising of Lazarus from the dead. And there are times when Jesus will delay. There are times when Jesus reminds us that he wants us to trust him even when he's not seeming, seemingly on our timetable. How many of you have discovered that the Lord's timing is not ours? He often delays. He often tarries. You see, I want him to deliver on my timing. I'm okay with a trial so long as I can, you know, call him to relieve it when I'm ready. Okay, Lord, long enough. This is the second watch now. We're getting tired. 
Let's, where are you? I'm sure you got something. Let's, and no, Jesus doesn't operate that way. The Lord often allows us to come to the end of ourselves, but his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. Listen, uh, one has said that the Lord is rarely early, but he's never late. He's rarely early, but he's never late. And I believe that the Lord is trying to teach these disciples. He's training their hearts. He's not being cruel. He's not just trying to let them, you know, flounder. He's withdrawing. He's holding back because he has things he wants to do in their character. And I have found this true in my own life. One of the reasons that I believe the Lord has delayed on occasion in my life is because he's teaching my heart to appreciate those things that he does in and through my life. You know, sometimes too fast and too easy leads to weak and ungrateful faith. You know, God just, you know, you know quickly redeeming and, and changing and bringing me through. Sometimes the Lord delays and he, and he draws me out in faith and in prayer so that when God does work, there is such a gratefulness in my heart, such a gratitude in my life for what he's doing. I appreciate his work. Sometimes he's setting up an opportunity to glorify himself in a greater way. And that's what was happening in Lazarus' life. And I believe that's what's happening in the disciples. He could have, you know, Jesus could have just prayed and calmed that sea and they could have made it. Jesus waits until they come to the end and the the exhausting of their own efforts. And then he does something miraculous. As we'll see, he walks on the water. Sometimes the Lord delays because he has to make sure that we are completely out of our own ideas and our own efforts. Otherwise, we might take credit. Otherwise, we might be, be, you know, feel pride and like we delivered ourselves. Remember Gideon? God had to weed that army down to where there was an impossible circumstance. Then God was able to minister. And it may be that God is delaying help in your storm because he's trying to work something in, of character in your heart. He's trying to deepen your roots of faith. And you have to trust him. And you have to, that's when faith is, is most required, is as you're waiting on the Lord. And there are seasons where God will bring that to you. But let's look at the fourth thing, verse 26 through 27. Jesus does help, and he helps by walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. I imagine they were. How many people do you see walking across the ocean? saying it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus comes, and church, Jesus always comes. God always comes through. Not always the way that we thought, not always when we thought, but God always comes through. You know, Jesus is coming again. He's made a promise to return for his church. It's been a long time, hasn't it? He's he's tarried quite a long time, but aren't you glad that he waited long enough for you to come to faith? And so his mercy, aren't you glad that he waited for at least last night's harvest crusade for 4,000 souls to be a part of the kingdom? So he tarries in his mercy and in his wisdom, but I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, and I just think he's at the door. Wait for him. Don't give up hope. Don't give up faith. Whether he's coming in the air in our time of, you know, 
Christ coming for the whole church or whether he's coming to you in a personal way, in your own circumstance, in your own life. Jesus is faithful as he comes to the disciples, he comes to us, and this faith turns, excuse me, this fear, fear turns to faith when Jesus says, be of good cheer, it is I. An impossible situation turns into a miraculous experience with Jesus. When they are at the end of themselves, then Christ comes. And he does this so that they would not trust in themselves. Isn't that what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? The Apostle Paul talks about his ordeal, a life-threatening experience that he had. And he says that the God of all comfort, when we despaired even of life, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, then he came and delivered us. God exhausted our strength so that he could show us his strength. Paul is the same one that would go on to say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because in my weakness, his strength is perfected. Listen, God is faithful. Wait for him, trust him, believe his promises. You may be in storm. He may be delaying his rescue, but it's coming. God is faithful. The psalmist said this in Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. This is a psalmist, this is David, who saw God's faithfulness as a young man, but now I'm old, many years, and I've never seen God fail his people. I've never seen God not come through for those whose hearts are towards him. Galatians 6 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Hang in there. God is with you and God is for you and he will meet you even in the midst of storm. The fifth thing that we see here in our text today is this miracle of not only Jesus walking on the water, but now Peter walks on the water too. Verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, and in the Greek that actually could be rendered, since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter. I'm so glad Peter's in the Bible. I'm so glad that we have Peter to kind of do these clumsy things that help comfort us in our journey of faith. Peter says, you know, I mean, there's no good reason for Peter to run out on the water. You know, it's not some ministry idea. It's not some opportunity to serve, you know, or, or help anybody. It's just, Jesus, let me come out there with you. Bid me to come. If it's you, since it's you. And I like this spirit. I, I like this heart. In fact, Jesus, he, he doesn't reprimand Peter. There's something in Peter that is saying, Lord, call me out into the impossible. Jesus, I want to walk on the water with you. Jesus, I want to do the things that you have for me. I, I want to believe that all things are possible. 
Faith in Peter in this moment, call me towards you. Lord, let me experience, let me taste of your glory in such a profound way. Let me come out on the water with you. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, Peter, be quiet and sit there tight on the boat. You can't walk on the water. Only I can walk on the water. Right? He could have, you know, he, and he doesn't, he doesn't kind of come against Peter. What does he do? Come on. Come on out. Go for it. You want to you walk on the water? You want to get out of that boat? You want to see what, what's possible in Christ? Come. Go for it. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm willing to honor your faith. I'm willing to have you out here on the water with me. I love this. I, I, love, the, I love Peter's kind of almost you know, foolish faith, but Jesus' encouragement to say, go for it. I don't know, that speaks to some hearts here today. Maybe, maybe we just need to, to believe that God has something for us. And, and Lord, just, just call me out. I don't want to get so comfortable. I don't want to play it safe. I don't want to just live in fear and worry. I, I want to take a chance. I want to be willing to take a risk in you, not presumptuous, not my, me telling you what to do, but you calling me. Call me out, Lord, and Jesus bids him to come. Now, just like so many of us, he gets out there. It sounded like a great idea. <laughs> sounded like a really good, good idea until he got out on the water. And of course, then he took his eyes off of Jesus and he put them on the storm. And doesn't that happen? Sometimes we, in following Jesus, we find ourselves out in ministry opportunity, out in a, in a moment that God has prepared for you. And then instead of looking at you, <laughs> you start looking around. What am I doing out here? Why did I open my big mouth? What was I thinking? Lord, save me. <laughs> and he began to sink. You know, I wonder what that was like. It says that he began to sink. Was it just like, bloop, he was underwater? Or did he like quicksand, just begin to go down? We're not sure. But he knew, something. He knew that he was in trouble. And he calls out on Jesus. Pretty short prayer. Lord, save me. A simple, sincere prayer and a cry to the Lord. And it says that Jesus immediately rescued him and said, oh, Peter, why'd you doubt? You were walking on the water. Where's your faith? You know, there's, there's, it's a beautiful picture of the Lord. It, you, you see God not, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't beat Peter down with his, for his faith. In fact, he tries to encourage it. And, you know, as if to say, I don't mind you taking some chances with me. I can catch you. I, I'm, I'm beneath you, you know. I'm all right with you taking steps of faith in sincerity, in a sincere effort to, to follow after the Lord. And if you get into trouble, you know what to do, right? Lord, save me. And immediately the Lord will be there to help you. Are you willing to ask Jesus to bid you to come? Lord, bid me to come. Lord, get me out in, in, in the water. Get me out of the boat. Are you willing to fail as you take a step of faith? Are you willing? You know, faith puts things at risk. Peter gets out of that boat. You know, I remember just again as a parent, I remember teaching my kids to swim, you know, kind of standing a little bit away from the edge and saying, okay, now jump and swim to me. Oh, no, I can't. You're too far. You're too far. You'll let me drown. I'm sure of it. 
no, I won't. Just come on, get out into the water, take a leap. I remember teaching him to ride the bike, you know, and having to run behind him. You know, one of my daughters, she was so busy wanting to make sure that I was behind her that she lost control of the bike and we both fell onto the ground, you know. <laughs> but, you, you know, if, if earthly fathers know how to encourage their children to take steps of growth and faith and, and stretching them into new, new places, don't you know your heavenly father has that desire over you? But he's so much better, so much stronger, so much more present than any earthly father, God leading us out to take steps of faith, to learn how to trust him, to learn how to walk by faith. Here's just a little thought that I write, wrote from, from my own heart. Let me read it to you. I would rather miss the Lord trying to obey him in faith than miss him by doing nothing as a result of fear. Just say that again. I would rather miss the Lord trying to obey him in faith then miss him by doing nothing as a result of fear. Now, I'd rather just not miss the Lord, period. But truthfully, I've learned that sometimes you have to be willing to take a step of faith. Jesus had bid him to come. Jesus was there. This was not some presumptuous step by Peter, but Peter was learning to walk by faith. Jesus, uh, Peter was learning to walk on the water. Finally, the sixth thing that comes to us, out of, the final thing from the storm, is that Jesus is worshiped. Look again, verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus had so worked in the circumstance of their lives that he brought them to this place of fuller revelation of who he was, and they, they bowed before him, and they worshiped him. And that's the purpose of storms that the Lord would send you into. He's trying to work a deeper revelation of who he is, a deeper confidence and trust in his word and in his promise. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? Wouldn't you have wanted, how many of you would just love to have seen Jesus walking across the water? Guess what? The only way to have seen that was to get out into the storm. And sometimes the Lord has to send you out there so that he can come to you and show you a deeper, more meaningful, fuller revelation of himself. And it produced this worship. I think for some just to be honest, I think what you need in your, your spiritual life is just a good storm. I think you just need a good storm in your life. I think you need to see Jesus coming to you, walking upon the water. You need to see a more fuller manifestation of who God is in your life. And you're not going to see it until you're out in the water, out away from the sea, away from the, out in storm. That's where God's going to meet you. And I know that this is the way the, the, the Lord has worked in my life. I know there are storms coming in my life. I don't look forward to them. But I do look forward to a fuller, deeper revelation of him, his faithfulness, his word, his promises, so that it might produce in me a more truthful worship. Jesus said that the Father is looking for those that would worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what's happening at the end of this this miracle. They are worshiping him because truly they know that he is the son of God. It's worth it. 
if the Lord is working in your life, bringing you to a place of deeper revelation of him and sweeter worship. Finally, here we'll close the end of the chapter quickly, just the ministry that arrives at the other side. Jesus wasn't just, it wasn't just a training exercise. Jesus had something in mind for them at the other side. When they crossed over, verse 34, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. You know, we compare this encounter with Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. Remember, scripture said he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. We contrast that to this place of Gennesaret, and there was such great faith that just to touch his garment, they believed they would be made well. And for everyone that came and everyone that touched him, they were made perfectly well ministry on the other side. That's what Jesus had in mind. That's why he left the crowds. He wanted to get to this place, not only to instruct his disciples, to, but to minister life and healing to those that were, that were believing in him. They already had faith, and Jesus comes to their faith and meets them in ministry on the other side. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you today for this beautiful passage, this classic encounter of the disciples seeing you rescue them as you walked across the sea. And Father, for our own hearts today, I pray that we would, that we would trust you in the midst of storm, that we would know that you, you are the one that came for us. Jesus, you came, you stepped down from glory, you stepped down and set aside your eternal place in heaven, and you became a man, and you came for us. We were lost. We were rowing against the wind of, that we could never prevail. We were lost and without hope in the world, but Jesus, you came. You came and you died on the cross and you rose from the dead and you invite hearts even today to come and receive the salvation. Come and worship. Come and be forgiven of your sins. And I want to pray for anyone here. We're going to partake of communion as we close our service, but before we do that, as your heads remain bowed, I do want to give an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, and you want to embrace his gift of salvation, I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord, rededicate your life to the Lord. Maybe you feel like your life is lost at sea. Maybe you feel that you're in the midst of storm and you've forgotten his promises and you've, you've become so distracted and so overwhelmed. And Maybe it's a storm of your own making. Maybe it's a storm of just life that's come. But whatever the case, you find yourself today very distant from God. And you know in your own heart that you need to come back and rededicate your life to the Jesus that came for you, to the Jesus that is here for you now. I'd love to pray for you as well. So if you're here today, you want to receive Christ for the very first time, or you want to rededicate your life to him, would you just raise your hand where you're seated? Let me see you and I'll pray for you. Anybody here today? Bless you. 
heart there in the center, in the back. God bless you. Very back on my, my left. Anyone else today? Or in the middle section? The Lord's speaking to you. God bless you. He says, don't be afraid. It is I. He's come to you. He's walked across eternity to come to save. Anyone else before I pray for these that have responded? You need the Lord. You need to come back to the Lord. Amen. Amen. My left. God bless you. communion table, a beautiful place to get your heart and life right with God. Anyone else just before we pray? And so Lord, I do thank you for these hearts responding to your word today. I pray that you would meet them, Lord, just as you met those disciples in the midst of that storm, you came to them. And just the simple prayer, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Jesus, immediately you reached down and you, you rescued not only Peter, but all of them and brought them safely to the other side. And so today, I pray that you would meet those hearts crying out to you, Lord, and bring them safely into f- fellowship and relationship with you, not because they deserve it, not because they, they've earned it, but because of your grace and your mercy. Forgive them, cleanse them, save them. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.